Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family, and I am excited that I am joined by a very special guest, somebody else over at the Mile High Sports family. It's Drew Creaseman who covers the Rockies for us at Mile High Sports. He's at Drew Creaseman on Twitter. Make sure to go give him a follow. Drew, thank you so much, man, for comping on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Excited to catch up with you again, man. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for this. Let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm stoked too. I have not done a great enough job of connecting with the Mile High Sports family yet, and so I, I want to do a better job as because it's, it's been, it's obviously different to Denver Stiffs and or, or was different to Denver Stiffs for me. And I've now we've got this, this whole we've got it, we've got an office, we've got a, a group that works right. together and things like that. It's, it's weird to me. So I'm, I'm uh, right. still trying to get adjusted to that fact. But studio uh, and everything, it's amazing. No, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you've been covering the Rockies for how long, man? Uh, if you count my blogging days, this is my tenth season. Wow. On on the Rockies beat, yeah. Uh, really, really, my seventh season doing it every single day on the beat, or or being it, you know, every home series, not every game. Don't. <laughs> one year I did seventy nine of the eighty one home games. That was twenty eighteen. Oh. I was at seventy nine of eighty one home games in in twenty eighteen. Uh, good on them though for winning ninety one games that year for me. Second best season in franchise history. So at least they made it worth my while. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's a that was a good year. Unfortunately, it kind of came to a screeching halt, and I'm yeah. pretty sure it's the NLDS, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, they scored I think three runs in the National League Division oh. Series uh, oh. total against that Milwaukee Brewers team. Those games were actually still pretty close. The the Brewers didn't score a lot either. But yeah, that was that was a rough one, man. That the whole end of that season, the the monster schedule. But yeah, it was it was a brutal series, but. Uh, well, we'll always have Tony Walters, won't we? <laughs> that, that, that single that was... back up the middle in Chicago is oh my gosh. the greatest moment in franchise in the last decade, which is both amazing and kind of and sad. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. Like, I, I think, I think Nuggets fans can definitely relate to that though, because it's been for, for a lot of the time with the Nuggets, there's, there's been some like close misses. And and mm-hmm. you could get back to like 2009 with Carmelo Anthony. And, oh, and, uh, can I relive that nightmare? Can I not? Can I? Oh, not? you we, I, we we don't oh. have to talk about that so strongly. That's perfectly still, fine with me. Like, as soon as you said, I said, please don't say 2009. Like, <laughs> oh no, I I can feel that one in my bones. I'm still angry. Yeah. I just uh, sometimes I wake up in a cold sweat and I go inbounds passes. It's hard to be angry about 2007 with the Rockies. Like that's, that's one of those things that you remember fondly because it was like you said, that the best season in franchise history, I have to imagine. And going to the world series in a very surprising way uh, that never draws any ire in terms of not making it like in terms of not winning the whole thing. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there were a handful of party poopers who kind of tried to call the whole thing a fluke and like, nobody listens to those people. Like, like you're saying, there's such an obvious, like built in, call it an excuse or legitimate reason. Like there was a nine day layoff. Like the Rockies were so good and they had won all those games, you know, 21 out of 22, they were so hot. And then they had to sit around and wait. And you never do that in a baseball season ever that many, not even the all-star break is that many days between games. Right. And so that, you know, 
that they got swept by the Red Sox in the World Series is, of course, disappointing. But no, everyone remembers that as the most magical time in Rockies history. And they should because it was it's amazing. It was awesome. Like, I, I've still got the image of Todd Helton raising his hands. Like, that's yeah. that's definitely that's that's one of those iconic Denver sports images. So I'm, I'm with you there. But in terms of the Rockies and the Nuggets specifically, I think we can both share uh, just just not quite getting over the hump, and unlike the Avalanche and the Broncos. And those two teams, I think those two franchises have dominated a lot of the national or like the, the local hype in terms of their success. And, and kind of rightfully so, just because they, the Nuggets and the Rockies, they haven't quite done it to the level of each of those teams, at least recently. Um, right. And I know I'm not really breaking any ground here, and I'm very happy for the Avalanche because that they deserved it after the way that they played over these last three years. But I, it's very interesting to think about the Colorado sports environment and how it's really evolved over the course of, I don't know, 25 years ever since the Broncos won their first Super Bowl, like mm-hmm. our Avalanche won in 1996. The way that we talk about each of these teams and each of these franchises is so different. Do you feel like talking about the Rockies has evolved? recently i do it's you know it's it's gotten really rough out here man (laughs) uh, (laughs) in the last and and to a large extent rightfully so because what's interesting to me is i was always a big believer that that last core the the team that everybody knows that even the non-rockies fans you knew they had nolan arnauto dj lemayhew trevor story charlie blackman kind of all at once right and then the, that pitching staff when they were really good uh, in that the two-year span when it's kyle freeland herman marquez john gray like that team had a lot of potential and it didn't get anywhere close to reaching it and then it got totally blown up and there's just no real sense of hope or future or understanding of how to ever recover from that right now. And so during that time, and really since Jeff Breidich took over, despite those two years, I think there's just been this sense of the Rockies as a team stuck in their old ways, in their traditions, that you know there was a while where they were exciting, the, the exciting new kid on the block, and they got to ride that for the 90s into the early 2000s. Some malaise started to kick in, but then they went to the World Series. And then they went back to the postseason in 2009. They were very good. They were very good again in 2010. People forget, even though they fell just short. But over this last decade, I think there really has been this sense of like, okay, when's going to be our time? And and I I think Nuggets fans, it's very similar, right? Like you were excited that they were here. You were excited they were a team. Then when they got mellow and started going to the postseason, you were just happy to go to the postseason, right? But then you look back on 09 and you go, that might have been our only chance, man. And that starts to sink in. I think that similar thing has happened with Rockies fans, with Rockies media. Like 2007 was their only chance and they walked backwards into it and they're never going to be able to do this again because all the, and and it's gotten very, very hyper negative, toxic, difficult to talk about the team in in an honest way in the last couple of years because everyone's so angry. And they probably have a right to be. Honestly, just just the way that the way that things have broken, the way that the team's been kind of dissolved over the course of these last couple, uh, the the number 50 million will always stick out in my head for obvious reasons. Like, come on, it's 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 got to be very frustrating. And and that's actually I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that's the perfect 
like, and, and I talk about this on my show a lot and I've talked about it on Twitter, people hate it, but this is the perfect example of like the rhetoric about the Rockies is correct. And that they've messed almost everything up. The Nolan Arenado trade is indefensible in a number of ways, but the thing that most people have latched onto is that 50 million. Right. And the fact of the matter is the Rockies saved $150 million in the Nolan Arenado trade. When a contract is that big, you're going to have to eat some of it to get most of it off of your books. The money end of it is one of the very few things about that deal that actually worked out in the Rockies' favor. But all the headlines read, Rockies trade Nolan Arenado plus $50 million to St. Louis for five guys you've never heard of. And... You're right. It's just like, even when they do something that does make some sense, and I'm sure you've experienced this a lot as well, where it's like, yes, this is bad. And that is bad. And and that's bad. And yes, they screwed this up. And okay, yes, that too. But this one thing, they really didn't screw up. And it's important for us to be diligent about those facts. So I, I battle people over the 50 million all the time, because I'm like, I know how bad it looks. But here's what it is. And that's a tough, it's thing tough. To like yeah. the optics of it is, is definitely where you're, where you're losing a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I feel like the Rockies, the way that the optics have gone over the course of this kind of rebuild that they're on is horrible. It's, it's as yeah. horrible as it could possibly get. like the way that they have. And, and here's like probably the biggest, the biggest issue. I think a lot of like fans for the, for the success, like as, as opposed to fans for just the support and fans for the, the atmosphere. A lot of people look at the attendance number, for example, look at the, the party deck that was uh, created during this mm-hmm. time. And I'm talking about this from somebody who is not plugged in in any way, shape or form. But what I will say is that the optics of that in, in kind of renovating the, the experience off the, the field, but as opposed to fixing the stuff on the field, I think is kind of the opposite in the way that the Cronkies and the way that the Nuggets have really gone about their own rebuild, which just makes it so different to me. And I just in completely different ways, because you have a lot of people that are showing up and enjoying the atmosphere of Rockies games until they watch the game. <laughs> right, right up until they see the final score. Yeah. yeah like my brother, my brother, he told me a story about how his, his uh, work group, they went to a game for just, just to kind of get out on a Thursday or Friday afternoon. And he didn't watch a single pitch until the ninth inning and they lost. <laughs> like yeah, it was, yeah. That's uh, that's insane to me, but also like, it, it's just that completely different juxtaposition of how the nuggets have done their own stuff where they have really focused on getting the on-court product back together, where people feel like they have a, a legit shot at winning a title this next year. But all of the other stuff, I think you can have some definite qualms with. Totally. Right. And it's, yeah, that's hundred percent right. I've said many times before that Dick Monfort is actually, now let me get to the end of this sentence. Everyone listening, Dick Monfort is a great owner for all of the things that don't matter toward your team being competitive. And you might be like, well, what, what, what are you talking about? But there are, as you know, when we get into this, there are actually a lot of things that these owners do. And being a steward of the community and, and being, you know, everything that Dick Monfort has done to help revitalize Lodo, uh, quite frankly, McGregor Square, as much as there was a ton of negativity around that, that's an incredible place. 
uh, to your point where you were talking about the party deck, um, that was actually an agreement. So, so again, it's one of those things people think is super negative, but when you know the details, you know that that was an agreement with the city, certain money was going to be used and it had to be used to improve the premises. So they couldn't use it to go out and buy a pitcher. It had to be used on something. The party deck has been great. Everyone, you know, even if people are going there and not watching the games, I get it, but it, it's actually been a really good thing. And now there are several other teams who are copycatting on that. So he does, you're right. The experience is great. The ballpark is wonderful. Now the area around the ballpark is awesome, but they don't do the on the field stuff right or well at all there, especially when it comes to the analytics, you know, and I do think these are, you know, very separate issues. And I don't think, I think the biggest difference I have between most fans and I would say even a lot of, you know, my, my brethren and, and sistren, as it were in, in, in the, in the media is that there's a lot of people who just quite frankly, don't think that Dick Monfort wants to win or that he cares about winning that he only cares about kind of being the real estate magnate and the guy who's uh, fixing Lodo. And, you know, I think that's inaccurate. I do think he wants to win. I just don't think he has any idea how, and I think he's been way too hands-on in trying to run things with his kind of culture mindset of we get Rockies guys and we have Rockies guys and we do it the Rockies way. And it's like, what even is the Rockies way, dude? Like it hasn't, like do it a different way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's where I, that's where I agree with the consensus. That's where I come together with it. It's like, do, do some, do something different, man, do something else. Yeah. Why did people get so upset about the trade deadline these last couple of weeks? You know, this one's really interesting. I think there's a combination of things. One, the hype around the trade deadline of major league baseball has just gotten out of hand it's like whatever has happened with the nfl draft in the last 15 or 20 years like similar but you know on a baseball scale <laughs> because well, seeing like juan soto getting getting moved that's a really massive deal you don't right. see those kinds of moves in the nba right there's just this extreme pressure especially now in baseball and the economics are of it are, are such that and one player just isn't going to change that much on your team and if a guy like that says he's not going to resign. Basically, it's a race against the clock. You have to move him as fast as possible. Um, and it's it's a wild thing that where there's almost there's such a disincentive towards being in the middle anymore that tanking is taking over the game. And I know again, this is an NBA problem as well, but it's it that is really frustrating for me in baseball that there's so much now emphasis. And what really happened is the Astros and the Cubs won the World Series in the last decade. Both of these teams were purposefully bad for three or four years, like over 100 losses. The Rockies have never lost 100 games in a season. The Astros did it three, maybe four years in a row. And then three or four years later, won the World Series with all these guys that they drafted. And everyone went, right. let's all repeat that. But not everyone can do that. Sometimes you just stay the Pirates. <laughs> You know, and I, and I worry about the Nationals here. You know, some they, they, these trades rarely work out where you move a star player and you really get back a ton of prospects and those guys lead you to the promised land. Like it's rare, even though it's the smart thing to try to do. So it's very frustrating. And, and so around the Rockies, it's like, why aren't they just doing the smart thing that everybody else is doing? You have these guys, you're not going to win. Somebody literally even just said to me on Twitter, 
you're a bad team and you have good players, you should trade those good players. That's the mentality in baseball now. And I hate it, man. I got to tell you, they're not wrong, but I hate that. Like what, how is that good for your sport? How is that a good place for any fan base to be in, to feel like you're mad at your team because they didn't trade CJ Crone? Like he's your best player. He signed through next year. What do we do? Like, I get it, but also baseball's in a bad spot. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think one of the things that's just drastically different from the NBA and, and, and MLB is just because when you're in the NBA, those players that are considered your top prospects, those are the young guys that you're holding on to. And the older guys that you're not necessarily holding on to are your CJ Crones and your, uh, gosh, who's the other guy that there's the, the pitcher who they're oh, supposed Daniel to trade. Bard. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Bard. Who's there. The, who's been a fantastic closer this year. and should be right. a, like, should be, should have been an all-star honestly, right. but it does seem to me like it makes more sense for a team like in the MLB to move those guys just, just from the outside looking in just because of the timeline factor that you're looking at, where some of the prospects that you're looking at that are in single a double a triple a right now that you're, that you're hoping, or maybe the guys that you just drafted are, are in rookie ball right now or getting close to it. Right. Then you're, you have to wait three or four years for those guys to ever really progress into the players that you need them to be. So I can understand why people would want to take the long view. I really can. It is difficult if you just keep kicking the can down the road though, and you never draft and you never add those prime talents that you're looking for. Like I look at the way that the Dodgers have, and this is a horrible example because they have different resources, obviously, but like the Dodgers and the angels, like I think, Actually, that's even more of a horrible example because like they have right. two prime talents, two incredible talents that they just haven't been able to do anything with it. Right. So I'm out of my element when I'm discussing this, obviously, but it's just so difficult to think about the Rockies. Like, can they get back to that place where they were competing for playoff berths pretty consistently? Is that going to happen over the course of these next couple of years while guys like CJ Crone and Daniel Bard are, are around? Right. I think that's the, the toughest question for everybody. I do think it's a, you know, a small likelihood, but I, I, I see a path to it. Is it the path they will take? Is it possible for them to get there? Uh, if, if you want me to put on my classic Drew Creaseman, how can this work out? Give us the Rockies therapy positivity lens and, and give you my best case scenario for the Rockies in the next couple of years. It looks something like this one, their most exciting prospect who's right on the doorstep is Ezekiel Tovar, a shortstop who's just been destroying minor league baseball throughout the, the year. We've known forever. He's a great defender. He showed up at 19 and he could defend, um, but he's been hitting the ball over the wall. He's just, he, this guy's going to be a thing. He may be your starting shortstop next season, start day one. Uh, next year they've got another wow. couple of guys who are are interesting you know in terms of prospects michael toglia uh the return of riley pint potentially as a reliever is a really interesting one a former first round pick uh who had electric stuff coming out of high school but just could not throw a strike to save his life actually retired for a year then came back to the rockies and is now in triple a because he's striking guys out and showing the kind of prodigious stuff that he had before. So there are, uh, there are a few prospects that are going to be ready to go and some exciting ones as early as next year. Um, 
I also think they're going to increase the budget in the off seasons based on comments that Dick Monfort made during the pandemic about how they were looking forward over the next three or four years to increase their budget to get back to a certain point. They did it this last off season by obviously signing Chris Bryant, but also making trades for guys like Randall Gritchick. They added payroll commensurate with what they said they would, which suggests to me, there are a couple of free agent signings coming in the off season. You know, does that save, you know, you still need a lot of things to go their way. Like, they have down years from all their starting pitchers. I think they need new coaching staffs in here. They have forever needed to put a ton into analytics. Again, there's like all these things they need to do. But I do think that there's enough, you know, talent around here that with the expanded postseason as well, I think that's something that baseball fans are, we're still getting used to this expanded postseason. Uh, and uh, w- which means that the division that you're in matters less and less. I keep hearing people say, well, how are they, can they do all this with the Dodgers and the Padres in front of them? It's like, you can come in third in your, div- you can come in fourth in your division and still make the post. It's unlikely, but it, you can still do that. So, you know, I think there are a lot of ways they can get there. Do I think it's likely? No. Do I understand why they think they can continue to push those buttons? And it really, it comes down to their starting pitching. And it's absolutely brutal that all of these guys are having the worst years of their career right now, because I do think this would, this is a better team that should be about a 500 team. If their starting pitching was just at their career averages and they're all down and that kills a season. So of course they're counting on that, but boy, that was a lot of ifs. I said, I gave you guys a best case scenario, right? (laughs) All those things line up and yeah, they can be an above 500 team that battles for a wild card spot as early as next year. I actually think where it gets really interesting is the year after Zach Veen just got to double a, that's your top, top guy. And when you've got, once you've got Ezekiel Tovar and Zach Veen and some of these other guys who really are star level prospects coming up. Um, and by that time, you'll either know that these pitchers, Freeland, Marquez, Sensatella have turned it around and you can count on them and then your team will be better or you'll know they aren't and all those guys are going to be free agents and you go and you can rebuild at that point and you can bring in a bunch of other starters to go with the what you know will be the next era around the Zach Beans, Benny Montgomery's. Uh, the guy they just picked up, Drew Romo, this star prospect catcher that they've got. They really do have some interesting prospects. And a lot of people, you know, the farm system isn't always highly touted, but there are a lot of individual prospects in the system who are very, very exciting and getting close. I'm definitely looking forward to it. This is, this is definitely one of those things where it's it's not going to play out over one year. It's not going to play out over like just, just a brief, short amount of time. It's very difficult and you have to wait to see what the long-term plan is before fully making a decision on some of these guys. And then like with baseball specifically, you have to have more of a probably long-term view than any of these other teams. So just because you are taking time with guys at at single A, double A, triple A, and and waiting for them to mature into the players that they need to be. So I'm not necessarily surprised that, that you got to wait for a Zach Veen. You got to wait for, uh, the shortstop prospect that you remember that you said, I'm sorry. Um, Jose Tovar, Tomar, is that, yeah. that the one? Yeah. Tovar. Yeah. Tovar. Uh, perfect. So it's, it's not a surprise to, to know that you have to wait. I think for the, on the Nuggets side of things, they're also like a, a sports business journal article just dropped where you've got a lot of development like there were some it was just more news about the development like all the the things that they're trying to do they're basically trying to convert their own version of Lodo uh in between the like around ball arena and in between 
uh, empower field, just trying to convert a lot of that particular area to make it more of an environment, more of a place where people want to be and to experience sports. And I'm not really surprised that both of these teams are kind of in those zones where the Nuggets are, they kind of figured out their competitive product, but not the best way to bring it to people. And the Rockies found a great way to bring people the product, but not necessarily the best way to make that product to the place where it needs to go. So I'm hopeful that both of our franchises can kind of line up with that at the same time. We can have a nice little golden era with Denver sports over the course of these next few years, because the Nuggets are going to be really good. The hope is that the Rockies kind of get to a place where they are also generating playoff berths and, and people are enjoying both of these sports at the same time because people haven't necessarily enjoyed the Nuggets experience as much because they haven't been able to watch the damn thing. Right. So it's, right, uh, it's just right. very like we have all these unique problems. They're different problems, but they're, they're still problems on both of these sides. So I'm, I'm not really surprised that we're kind of both in the same position. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring up the, the not being able to watch it. I was actually talking on the show today about, you know, being able to watch 150 plus Rockies games a year on TV and the, the way they make that stuff about as accessible as possible. And the fact that you can still to this day get into a Colorado Rockies game for four dollars for a rock pile ticket for anybody, one dollar for kids and seniors. And like, you know, we just had a lockout. Uh, we we got this season started late and there was this big fight between the owners and the players and a lot of issues that I thought were really important, but the fans were also a part of this fight as they always are when these lockouts and strikes and things like this happen. And the number one thing that I saw from the fans who were mad at both parties, and I think there's way more problems on the owners, but the number one thing I saw from fans mad at both parties was how are they fighting over all this money? When I got to pay a hundred bucks just to get into the game. And then I got to pay 16 bucks for a beer everywhere I go. You know, the, the economics of going to a sporting event in most places is absolutely absurd. And at Coors Field, it's not. Take the whole family for under 50 bucks, you know, and, 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 And there's something to that. And sometimes people want to be negative about that. And again, that's where like, I draw the line, man. Like, no, the team's terrible. I can, I know it as well as anybody. I can go down through all the statistics and give you the evidence, but you know, it does matter that you can like take your whole little league team to the ball game that you can take kids out to the ball game. It's an important part of baseball. I think it's kind of an important part of our culture, honestly, and that it is in some places that have much more prestige, uh, that it has become an exclusive event to go to a baseball game in LA or New York, or even in St. Louis or Chicago. Like that doesn't, that, that doesn't feel right to me. That's not baseball to me. So that's one thing I think the Rockies not only do well, I think it's something they do better than almost every team in professional sports. That's important. Like I, I have had those personal experiences. I grew up as a, as a little league player myself. I, I actually played through high school at Valor. Um, and so it's, it's not a surprise that, that people are so upset about kind of the, 
the on court or not on court on field product because right. they want the ex like they value the experience so much they right. they want to be able to enjoy it and kind of take advantage of all of those benefits that you just listed off and i'm, I'm not surprised about that in any way shape or form having experienced it myself so yeah. it is cool like there are so many ways that these things could go the way like go a very positive way the Avalanche have this rapid, this this rabid fan base. Yeah. Uh, the Broncos, obviously, like that's they're they're still the kings because of the the winning, but also kind of football culture in general. Sure. Uh, but there is still room for the Nuggets and for the Rockies to be able to entrench themselves into Denver culture. And it's hard, like like sometimes with with basketball, especially that's a little bit more elitist, and that's a little bit more like, man, these guys are giants. Like, how can how can I relate to them specifically? How can I relate to Nikola Jokic? <laughs> like, that's that's a little bit difficult. But I can understand why people would definitely take to the Rockies environment to be like, yes, this is where I want to be. This is where I can enjoy being on a consistent basis. And have a good time with it. And, and that, that does hold tremendous value for sure. It's, and, and this is one thing that I think all, everyone in the Rockies community can agree on. And we all disagree a lot about a lot of things every day. But here's something we all agree on. When that place is rocking, when it's good, there's nothing like it, man. It, it's like Lodo becomes a giant block party. When even not that long ago in 2018, when they were good and they were going on these runs, they brought back Matt Holiday for one last hurrah, right? Remember all that? Oh, yeah. And, and it was just like when Coors Field really gets rocking, that atmosphere is fantastic when you've got important baseball. And, and I remember because I was having a, an argument with somebody about the time about do the Rockies really have culture? Do Rockies fans have culture? Do they really know what's going on out there or are, are they all just drinking in the party deck and not watching until the ninth inning. Right. And it's like, well, it depends on the game. And on, it had been a decade since I had heard or more, actually, there was an old chant from the nineties from mile high stadium from when the Rockies played at that. And it was the back and forth. You remember the old, it was go Rockies, like the simplest nineties. We just got a baseball team chant of all time. <laughs> right. But it was the cool, like the call back and forth. And you won't hear this chant unless it's late in the season and the Rockies are going to the postseason and the place is sold out and all the old heads and diehards and everybody who's been there before will bring it back. And it's really, really cool when that happens because you can tell the difference between the people who are out there just to be there on a random July night and when it really gets good. The fans are passionate. They're into it as much as anybody. And they know their history. And they know their baseball. I think Rockies fans get a bad rap sometimes because of things like the party deck and because sometimes I can get super toxic about weird stuff. But the real hardcore diehards, Rockies fans, man, they know how to make Lodo into a party zone. And it's cool when it happens. And that's why everyone wants it to happen more. <laughs> uh, no, I, I totally get it. And that should be where people get to focus on. That's, that's what people want to focus on over the course of these next few years. Hopefully they get to experience that for sure. And it does matter in telling the story of Denver. I do believe that, that so much of this conversation that we're having is people, especially coming out of the pandemic, just wanting to be able to enjoy themselves again and want to be able to 
enjoy their lives and enjoy their sporting experiences. And there, there isn't that much better than, than going to a Rockies game and just kicking back, having a beer with the folks. Yeah. Uh, so I, I totally, totally get it. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss movie trilogies. I knew I wanted to have Drew on to discuss movies because he is a movie buff himself. Uh, But for now, we are going to take a break. But first, this podcast, everybody, it's brought to you by Superbook Sports. There is no better time to make your first bet with Superbook this summer. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the program. As always, I love doing these podcasts where I get to kind of freestyle a little bit, not necessarily having to focus on the nitty-gritty of the Nuggets and the NBA all the time. There will be time for that. It's a it's a long season and a long off-season still. But for now, I'm joined today by Drew Creaseman, the Rockies analyst over at Mile High Sports. We just had a nice conversation about just the environment that these teams have really crafted. And now I want to pivot entirely. We're going to talk about movies. We're going off the rails, Drew. I'm really, really excited. Love a it. week ago, a week ago, you polled people and asked them, what are the greatest, what is the greatest movie trilogy of all time? And it got me thinking, Drew knows movies. He's, he's got to love talking about this stuff. I'm very curious to hear what he has to say. So uh, you used Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, and Dark Knight as, as kind of your, your primary trios. How come? Yeah, or Star Wars, not to correct, just so anyone listening, I think it's like, <laughs> just Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, it, it's interesting because with Star Wars, you get three different trilogies and you can let people fight over which one is the best. And that's always fun on Twitter. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I... I I really think actually, though, as much as I don't have a, a favorite amongst them, I'm actually somebody who enjoys all Star Wars and yeah, some I see as better than others, but I don't hate any of it. Like some people get really into that. It's weird to me to hate Star Wars. I think the original Star Wars trilogy, though, is kind of this perfect beginning, middle and end setup, twist, conclusion story that a lot of trilogies or a lot of longer arcing stories try to emulate and and for good reason right like a new hope is just this really fantastic introduction to the star wars world to the music of john williams to how everything looks and feels to what a lightsaber is and alec guinness's speech about the force and all of it right so it's just world building and here are the characters here are a couple events set it up and then empire is all twist and everything is dark and bad things happen and nothing is how you thought it was and i am your father and all of that and you know and so you and and it leaves you with this like totally ambiguous 
dark feeling and not knowing. And then in the third, it's the return and the triumphant win and, and we save the day and all of that. I, I just think it's very satisfying for a reason and almost perfectly done. And there's a reason, like, there's a reason everybody everywhere knows Star Wars. You could find people, you know, in a tribe no one's ever discovered before. And their only thing about the outside world would be that they would know what a lightsaber was or something. Like, it's just a ubiquitous human thing at this point. So you had to go with some Star Wars. Um, Lord of the Rings, I actually think, might be the answer to the question, though. Having gone back and rewatched, yeah, I mean... I just recently revisited them because the, there's a new show coming out, The Rings of Power, I'm very, very excited about. And as a giant fantasy nerd of things like Dungeons and Dragons and Final Fantasy, and there's all different kinds, or The Witcher, or whatever your Game of Thrones, anything you can think of a name that's super fun and cool and exciting and has dragons in it, to put it as simply as possible, or magic. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, right? Elves, dwarves, all these things that we're familiar with. It all comes from Tolkien, almost all of it. And, you know, Wheel of Time, that's another one. It's like, it's yeah. a, there's so much of it draws from the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and, and this Silmarillion, this enormous world building. As my brother says, it's just, and he's a fantasy author as well. My brother is like, it's just the greatest world, but he set the bar way too high. Tolkien invented like 26 languages for the world of middle, for middle earth. Like what? And so when you go back and watch Peter Jackson's trilogy, like all of that history and stuff that I didn't even know about as a kid, when I, it's all there. It's also lived in. It's also present. And then apart from a couple little wonky moments of CGI, uh, most of the effects are practical. And so it's aged incredibly well. And the story is just timeless. It's timeless for a reason. There's a re reason that it's been, you know, emulated so many times. and. I, I think, yeah, I think that Peter Jackson trilogy, especially the extended editions, are just perfect. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think when I thought of this, when, I th when, you, when you put that out, I didn't, I didn't look at the actual poll. Uh, when you put that out, the first thing I thought of was Star Wars, just because I think that's what everybody first thinks of when they think of, okay, trilogies. This one had happened to have three separate trilogies, I think, that you can, yeah. you can particularly choose from. And I think you could make an argument for probably the, the first two, probably not the last one, but um, it is so interesting to think about what makes a good movie trilogy. And I think you hit the nail on the head that it has to have a full development. The four things that I really thought of were the buildup, like the, the third one can't fall off. And I think there are a lot of trilogies that have been that. they've been aspiring i the, the first one i look at sam raimi's uh, spider-man like yeah. that had so much buildup between those first two movies and then the third one hit and people were just a little bit left wanting so yeah. i i could totally understand why they'd be a little bit like that one could have been there it, it just wasn't um the next Terminator is another one terminator for sure that does that like the first two movies are great and then the third one was like okay fine <laughs> this, this is how we're wrapping out a book okay fine yeah um the uh the next thing is character developments like you have to see these characters you you're introduced to them in the first movie or maybe the second movie and and you see them go through these different scenarios and then go through this building 
and you grow emotionally attached to them. Like that's the emotional attachment is I think is one more thing that you grow right. attached to the, in the Lord of the Rings to Frodo and Sam. Like you, you want them to succeed and you see their, their actual struggle and you're like, okay, this is how this has to go. And you have to be emotionally attached in order to really believe in that story. And then the fourth is the limited weaknesses in each of the individual movies. I think one of the things that when you like, I part of that is just the buildup, but like, I think with back to the future was another one that I saw listed. Yeah. Back to the future one, really good. Back yeah. to the future three, really good. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like, ah, eh, back to the future two. It's uh, it, mm. it kind of left a lot of people wanting it in their own little way. Right. Um, so I, I think you have to have three movies that can stand on their own as really good pieces of work yeah. that all kind of connect together. So that was just like when you, when you think Lord of the Rings, when you think Star Wars, that's what I think. Of. I absolutely think these are three separate works that all tie together really well, but then can stand on their own as incredible films. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And a lot of trilogies that people were good. And, and I felt good when, because I was seeing a lot of, I was like, oh yeah, Back to the Future, I did because that was a, a common response. Um, some people, I don't know my Westerns as well. So some people were like, the Dollars trilogy. And I was like, I don't, uh, I'll, I'll I am, I am exactly with you. Like I have not seen any of the Clint Eastwood trilogy. Right. Like it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Maybe I should, maybe because right. people are saying something. That I, I know, should, right? But, Same. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, to your point, uh, Godfather came up a yeah. few times, and 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 again, that's got the one that that clearly stands out as not as good as the others. Problem. Um, uh, people, a couple people actually brought up the most recent Planet of the Apes trilogy, which I have not seen. I'm not really into that, but I've heard they're good. So that it was mentioned a couple times made me go, okay. Um, I'm with but you yeah. on that, by the way. Like, there's there's a couple that like I've seen I've seen clips from them, but not necessarily wanted to get invested in something like that because I didn't think I'd like it. Apparently, people do. Yeah, same. Yeah, totally. Uh, a couple of people mentioned Bill and Ted. I was like, fantastic, huh. good for you. Okay. Why not? I can't argue with that. Uh, I really liked one that I think later I'm not finding in the replies. I think we talked about it in my Discord channel, but it was. So this actually defies everything that you just said about what makes a good trilogy, but that's because it's, it's non-traditional. But I do think that they themselves considered a trilogy, and that's the Cornetto trilogy, which is a series of three movies from Edgar Wright that aren't actually sequels to each other, uh, but Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and oh. At World's End Got it. Okay. are technically <laughs> considered a trilogy but obviously they're not connected. So they don't have that beginning, beginning, middle and end we were talking about or the character growth or any of those things. So it's sure. you, you, that one you'd have to like rate differently, but I do love those movies. And I was happy somebody brought it up, brought it up. I was like, Oh yeah. Uh, there's some evil dead fans out there as well. Mm -hmm. Those things are always popping. I'm not a big zombie guy. So I don't know. I, I look, and you, you mentioned one of the others that, the Dark Knight was one, mm. like the Dark, the Dark, uh, the Batman trilogy, not the Dark yeah. Knight trilogy, but like, like you've got Batman Begins, you've got Dark Knight, and then you got Dark Knight Rises, and that one, I don't know if I would choose that one, but I, it does kind of fit because I think all three are pretty strong on their own, and I know that there are some people that would think, okay, Batman Begins not as good, Dark Knight Rises not as good, but you definitely don't lack for stuff in the middle, that's for sure. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm actually a big defender of Rises. I think that movie gets a bad rap because there are a couple of things in it that are like really ridiculous leaps of logic. And I'm with everybody on like there are some plot holes and stuff. But that movie to me is so thematically strong. It it has such an interesting and it was so timely in terms of, you know, basically just the scene where Bane goes into Wall Street and redefines what it means to steal money. Like that was a, that was an interesting time to be having that conversation in a comic book movie. Uh, And, and so I thought there was a lot about that character. The portrayal obviously by Tom Hardy was pretty universally loved. Uh, That that was pretty fantastic. There were, yeah. So there's a lot of weird things in rises for sure. Um, But I thought thematically it was just so strong uh, that I didn't mind some of the other little things obviously the the best film of the trilogy there you're right is is the middle one the dark knight is if you want to call it the greatest comic book movie of all time i won't fight you i I would probably give that honor to logan um wow interesting okay but um the the dark knight i i will say is probably the best made movie of all time that happens to feature a comic book hero <laughs> I, I you're not yeah. going to get any arguments from me on that front like i i love that movie and i i repeat ledger i actually just recently talked about this in, in in the uh the mailbag that i did yesterday that uh his portrayal of the joker it's it's like i wish that had gone on over the course of multiple movies it's yeah. good that it didn't because stretching it out too much probably would have lifted the kind of pulled back back the curtain just a little bit too much. But it was just so tension filled and just so crazy that I think yeah. people really latched onto it for sure. So I, I'm I'm not surprised. Like that that could be the trilogy. Like that could be the the greatest trilogy. It would not surprise me if people thought that way. So yeah. Two others that I, that I throw out there are Indiana Jones and the Bourne trilogy. I love each of those trilogies for different reasons, uh, not necessarily as universally loved. And I think a lot of people like John Wick more than they like the Bourne trilogy. I don't a couple really people subs- brought up John Wick, yeah. I don't subscribe to that. Like, I, I, I honestly <laughs> think that Bourne was, was like the OG there, but uh, whatever. Yeah, I've only seen, I think, the first two Bourne movies, and I haven't seen any of the John Wicks. Not really my style of movie, though it's funny because my mother is a big John Wick fan. (laughs) You gotta watch these, dude. Like, really, Mom? Keanu kicks all kinds of ass. I'm like, all right, cool. My mom's digging on Keanu. But, uh, you know, it's... uh, uh, And and Indiana Jones, I love those movies. I, I especially loved them when I was a kid. I haven't seen them in a while. I should probably revisit that. That would be a fun rewatch. It's been a minute. I think maybe because that fourth one sour, like I went and saw that crystal skulls thing in the theater. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, what in the world is going on right now? And so I haven't revisited Indiana Jones ever since. <laughs> no, I, I totally understand that feeling. And that's honestly why you might be able to remove that from the trilogy conversation, because when you try to extend it, yeah. it, it can go wrong. And I so I, I definitely understand that. Right. And like, I took a look at the, cause there are like individual trilogies in the MCU, but I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try to do like captain America. I almost went with that because I really love first Avenger 
um, and uh, Winter Soldier. I love right. Civil War too, but I have problems with that movie. Uh, and that one's almost universally beloved. Uh, I love it, but I have issues with it. But Winter Soldier, I think, is one of the best movies in the MCU ever. And so I thought about taking the Captain America trilogy, but it does. It, you need there's so much other stuff that informs it. Uh, and the MCU, like big extended universes, are their own, own thing. I love them; they're their own thing now, and they're great. But a trilogy is a different thing, I think. for sure. And like it's. It is difficult, like like you said, when it gets tied up into that universe of other movies and experiences that it, it has to be able to stand on its own. And it probably does, but it's just so interwoven with everything else that's apparently going on in that universe. So, right. um, Oh, you know what nobody mentioned and I only just thought of right now and I'm mad at myself for only just thinking of it right now? the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trilogy from the <laughs> 90s, the live action. Like, it's not the greatest of all time, but those movies were awesome. <laughs> I love it. That's that's hilarious. Like, I I have not seen those. Like, I've, I've just, really? it's it's crazy that, uh, like, because you get into these different perspectives and, like, I haven't seen, I've, I've seen one of the Planet of the Apes movies and part of another, but, like, that's one that people would be like, you haven't seen those? Those were right. so big. And I'm just, sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, like, that seems like a, a rewatch for sure or watch for sure yeah man those were fun i had a bunch of those because i'm doing these rewatches with my brother but there are some from that time if you're like oh you should watch goonies or whatever i was like no i actually have never seen goonies <laughs> or the lost boys those are two from like that time period they'd be like yeah. you gotta watch those i'm like i suppose i should now top gun i haven't seen the new top gun everyone oh, says you're missing great. out yeah. I, everyone says it's great like i gotta i gotta get in on the action so yeah what about Die Hard? I saw the first Die Hard and was like, I'm good. It's not, again, not really my genre. Not a big Bruce Willis guy. But I did enjoy, I mean, the uh, more an Alan Rickman guy. Alan Rickman's not in the other ones. <laughs> what a classic. Yeah. Alan Rickman's fantastic. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Harry Potter nerd. Like, that's, there, that's there where I grew up, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but no, like that's definitely like Die Hard's definitely more in line with John Wick. So not really surprising that you're kind of I guess more tied existing. to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, yeah. it is interesting though. Like, like thinking about all of these, a lot of them are more nerd culture movies. Like we, we haven't like dollars and, and the Godfather and like, I guess back to the future is kind of nerd culture too. And sure, Indiana yeah. Jones isn't necessarily nerd culture, but a lot of them are more in the, like you build up a fan base, you build up a group that can, that you definitely cherishes your movies and will go and see every single one guaranteed. Right. Uh, but the ones that are really special, I think are the ones that just break into the mainstream and stay there. Like, like the Dark Knight trilogy, the Batman trilogy, I think is probably the biggest one that's outside of nerd culture. But even that, like, it's just, kind of nerd culture for a variety of people because right. it's, it's the Batman. Like, right. On. It's still, it's yeah, it's still, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the, the dollars and the, and the Godfather are really the ones that are most outside of, and they've, you know, they're, they're still kind of around. I guess, I guess they're still an appreciate. I knew people in college who were really into Godfather and I, because it wasn't that long ago. I was like, I don't know. Well, let's ask the kids these days. <laughs> the kids these days still watch The Godfather. Somebody let us know. Was... No, no, we do not. As a twenty-five-year-old man, oh, yeah, no, see, no, we do not. <laughs> I, I, I was never really into those either, though. And yeah, you're right. It's interesting, right? There's not like a sequel to Citizen Kane or Gone with the Wind or anything, right? But, but those are all based on books. And so, what's interesting is that 
you know, a, a lot of these movies that are based on books, they have their beginning, middle and end. And a lot of the nerd culture stuff, either you're George Lucas and you're making it up as you go along and you just create, 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 or it's based on these comic books, which are yeah. serials. So yeah. of course you should have more than one story. I, I, I've always said for a long time, I, I know like a long time ago, people were starting to already get on. Is there going to be fatigue for the superhero stuff? And some people are experiencing it and some aren't, but I said, we got to get past the origin story phase. And we didn't even really do that until like 2010. Because the most yeah. interesting thing is not becoming the superhero. As we all know, now that we've seen a hundred different origin stories, they're all kind of the same thing, aren't they? <laughs> that's, that's why they're called origin stories. Like people, right. people know exactly what you're doing. The interesting thing is living life as whatever your thing is and, in, and being a symbol for whatever you're a symbol for. And it's living that day to day and all the myriad of problems that would come up so for me it's just of course comic books should be huge extended universes or television shows because trying to tell the story in one movie never made sense to me or even three sometimes so we talked about the sam raimi one the first two spider-man movies are great and then they were like let's introduce a bunch of new characters and try to wrap it all up in, <laughs> in, a, in an hour and a half like what we wouldn't have accepted that out of the cartoon from the 90s we would have been like no yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 too bad that like because I, I think there's there have definitely been a lot of movies that have tried to replicate that over the years where where you try to come up with the big uh hit trio or the big hit sequel. And so there's a lot of people and a lot of like folks that criticize the sequel and 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 trio era where where you're trying to come up with new content or they're wanting you to come up with new content rather. Yeah. And it's tough, like you're, because a lot of it is being pulled from source material. You're right. Like I, I have to imagine that we're not going to see another person like J.R. Tolkien. Like it's just, it's just not going to happen to right. that degree. I, I think the closest probably was J.K. Rowling, and for obvious reasons, they're trying to separate from that too. So yeah, yeah, right. It's, uh, and that's wild. become problematic. Yeah, no, I agree. I think with. Um... There's an interesting potential new contender. I, I think I will have to count the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy once they mm. wrap that up, because that seems to be much more straight in line, even though it's like they jumped into the other movies for a second, but they've had a much more straight line first and second movie. And it sounds like from everything I've been reading about from James Gunn, third movie is going to be it. It's going to be the last Guardians, at least the last of this team. So I'm going to count that as a trilogy. And that's been phenomenal. Okay. So uh there there are still and there are a lot of these great graphic novels that i still think are left untouched to be done but i think most of them are going to be television shows you and i were talking before we came on about sandman and watching the show i'm like this could have been a pretty cool movie trilogy but no this has not only does this need to be a show it needs to be several there's like 75 sandman books and again it's that thing where they're once you get the premise now it's about telling a bunch of different stories inside of the premise and that it becomes a cool thought exercise a lot like star trek you know where every episode can be a thought exercise and right. that's i think going to be the future of a lot of these comic book movies when they're getting into the deeper stuff beyond and i look i love the mask superhero stuff and some of it does get really really deep but not every comic book features people in masks punching other people in masks in the face <laughs> you know so <laughs> I think there's some really deep ones to get into. And I'm actually very excited for that future. 
I think uh, The Witcher, I think, kind of lines up with that a little bit, mm. just because they've they've taken some of the stuff from the actual games and from those stories and repurposed that into seasons, of, and rather than necessarily. Well, there is there is definitely some overlap there. I'm trying to think of a good one where where you where it's it's more like that, where you're you're just taking from the individual source material and not necessarily trying to build off of that individually. Um, you know what's a really interesting example of that? Um, uh, Detective Pikachu. Oh yeah, <laughs> Detective Pikachu is really great because it just it rather than like trying to tell a story of like any like Pokemon game or whatever, it just tells its own original story. It just makes up characters and does its own original thing, but it just sets it in a world where there's Pokemon everywhere. I'm like, that's actually genius. So then you're not like beholden to the source material, right? Um, and I think they're doing a similar now rings of power. I think is going to walk this line in the Lord of the Rings because like some of it, yeah. they're going to be beholden to the Silmarillion, but a lot of it's going to have to be their own stuff. I know they're like shrinking time together. They're taking like a thousand years and going to try to tell over like a hundred or whatever. So you, you have to take huh. those kinds of creative licenses um, and, and you're going to, you know, and creators create, you create your own character, your own new thing or whatever. So I get all of that, but there's a, tightrope you got to walk when you do that but i oddly enough i was like detective pikachu did castlevania also did a really good job i love castlevania castlevania is so funny man that that was awesome i was like this is great because i played all those games when i was a kid and i was like this is not what i necessarily would have thought of to do with a show but it's brilliant i wouldn't change a thing (laughs) it's wonderful Man, there's there's just a lot of great content, and I think a lot of people criticize a little bit too much. But like you just listed off Detective Pikachu as as one of the ones that people should check out. As as a hey, this is a really good example of totally. what you're talking about here. So, I I think that there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets swept under the rug that people should try to unearth and be like, hey, look, this was actually really good. And so, I I, I respect what a lot of these uh what a lot of podcasts and a lot of platforms do, where they try to unearth some of these and really go in depth on a lot of this different content and i'd love to do some of that here at mhs like that would be that'd be great like i I would really enjoy my time same brother hit me up anytime you want to do any of that i would let me let me go a little old man on you here and say ah when i was a kid you know i didn't get (laughs) i legitimately didn't get cable tv in my house i was like 12 or 13 years old you know what i mean i so until that time we had like four channels just the local channels and you watched what was on man (laughs) and so now that we live in a world where it's like if you're a big horror fan it's like my wife watches uh american horror story loves it not for me but i know a lot of people go that's great content right Right. all the stuff we've talked about here today i know people that love these like dramas with rich families fighting with each other that's a big thing now billions or um uh severance or whatever i don't watch those shows but i hear they're phenomenal great i'm so happy you have a thing to watch why are we all tearing down each other's stuff you know to your point there's so much there's never been more great television film video games at our fingertips than there is right now i so don't focus on the things that you hate love and celebrate and talk about the things that you love you know because there's got to be there's something out there for everybody Drew Creeshman, spreading the love. I love it. This is great. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Feel the love, um, baby. We should we should get together and talk about the Rings of Power at some point, and then House of the Dragon. I assume I assume you're a House of the Dragon fan. Oh, did did you open up a can of worms? I I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, 
And yeah. I, I, re- I, I never read the books, just watched the show. I know, I know a lot of people have read the books. I didn't like the ending, but I defend it. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Fair, fair. You know, like I, and, and I really hate what happened and, and the negativity around it. And a lot of it's all, it's all legitimate. And, and, but like, I really think that like, what I, what I defend basically is saying it didn't ruin the show. It's still maybe the greatest television show of all time. There was so much about it that was good from the writing and the acting down to things like the costume design and the music and the set pieces and everything about it was so good. And that it seems like so many people want to poo-poo the legacy of the entire thing because the last season was admittedly disappointing, if not downright bad. It's like, okay, yeah. But all of this stuff was amazing. And it wasn't just amazing because of where it was going or where you thought it was going or whatever. So I'm glad they're doing House of Dragons because that story has an ending. The book is over. I listened to the audiobook for that. It's a phenomenal story. All they have to do is not mess it up. Just don't mess it up. So yeah, totally. I I can talk Game of Thrones forever, man. <laughs> uh, it should be it should be we're gonna do it. We're we're definitely gonna do it when that comes out. I I am looking forward to it for sure. Uh, Drew, you've been awesome, man. Like this is this has been great. We should definitely do this again. Uh, maybe maybe we make this a, a not not monthly, but like a a consistent time where we we get together and talk about our shows and talk about yeah. our movies. That would be Check that'd be a lot of fun. I would absolutely love that, Ryan. That'd be great, man. Awesome. For everybody else, that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll be back on Monday uh, discussing, I think, Aaron Gordon, I think, is the, the player that we are going to dive into and, and really kind of go into the intricacies of what he can do next year. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.